0: Hi, this is Amanda, and this is Lindsay, we're True Creeps, where the stories are true, and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore, to the possibly plausible paranormal, to horrifying history, to tense and terrible true crime, and everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics, listener discretion is advised. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our first Stranger Things episode. We're very fucking excited. We are. We are hyped. A few months ago, we had an informal Stranger Things conversation after our outro. We were like, I think we want to do this more. We think we want to do more Stranger Things because this season was amazing. Yeah. And what it's based off of is terrifying. Yes. Yes. And very interesting. So before we get into that, we are coming up on our second in the beginning of October, where we were going to have another listener episode. Last year, we said, send us your spooky stories. This year, we're asking for the scariest thing that's happened to you. Yeah. And that could be broadly. We want any story. Also, you have a relative. They're comfortable with you sharing their story. Share it with us. We're excited. Mm-hmm. If you look in the show notes, you'll see a link to a Google form. You can either, one, upload audio of you saying it. Love that for you. Two, you can share it. There'll be a section for you to actually just paste your story and we can read it for you. And you'll be able to select whether you want to be anonymous or you want us to say your name. So keep an eye out for that. That was a really fun episode last year. So I'm looking forward to this one as well. Yeah, it was cool to learn about some people's experiences too. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think there's a little bit of... Like, why do you like spooky things that exist in everyone? And sometimes it's because of the scariest thing that ever happened to you. And sometimes you got to the scariest thing that ever happened to you and you were more prepared because you (laughs) have taken in just so much horror in your life and scary stuff. Yeah, but either way. I'm super excited. Also, at the end of the episode, we're going to talk about our Patreon. It's been a minute since we've brought it up. And Amanda and I love doing True Creeps. It's one of my favorite things about my life generally, but it's also not free to do. So we are pretty committed to bringing the best audio, the best editing that we can do, and making sure that we have actually good information. So we pay for top-tier editing software and design software for our merch and our website and all the things, for website hosting, podcast hosting, and for research materials. And one of the ways in which we pay for that is through our Patreon. So we really appreciate all of our patrons that we have. And we also have awesome perks for people who are supporters of the show, which I think they're really cool. And then we kind of do some bonuses in addition to what we formally say we'll do. And, you know, we also have our community on Discord and on Facebook, which are both very fun. But stick around to the end of the episode, and we'll talk about that more. Yeah, we try to make it as fun as possible. And then also, you're backing the show and you're helping us provide the best show that we can. So we appreciate all of you. Yeah, we really do. So let's get into our episode. Stranger Things. (laughs) I like that. Stranger Things. It's good, right? Yeah. So I don't know if your entire timeline on every single social media that you have is still Stranger Things. Yes, it is. But mine is for the most part. And I don't listen to the radio often, but my son needs it on the way to school and on the way home. He needs his Post Malone. Yeah, he needs his Post Malone one. But also every single time I'm in the car now, Kate Bush is playing and it's absolutely hilarious because (laughs) she hasn't made music in a while from what I understand. And obviously the song in the show is super old. So like the fact that she's making so much money off of it is amazing. Yeah, we do love that. But also, it's a weird mix when you're hearing Post Malone and then Kate Bush. Yeah. And then like Young Gravy. The name alone makes me laugh. (laughs) Um, But also, we're going to talk about it nearing the end of the episode. But boy, does Amanda have some things to say about Kate Bush and her music. (laughs) I like looked at our research doc and I was like, okay, okay, we're focusing on this is intense. Okay, I'm here for it. I love a rabbit hole. We went down one. I stand up till like four in the morning listening to Kate Bush interviews. Yeah, I can tell. I can tell that. It's a thing. It's a thing that I did so you don't have to. (laughs) Nothing against Kate Bush. She's fantastic. A treasure, a delight. But she does go off on a lot of tangents. Oh my gosh. Like anybody else, you know, (sighs) it's me. (laughs) So if you've heard anything about Stranger Things, you've heard the name the Duffer Brothers with it, right? So the creators of the show are Matt and Russ Duffer. And in several interviews about the show, they've talked about their inspiration for the show. And all of this is very true creeps. They bring a lot of supernatural elements and science. They have a lot of, you probably know, various government experiments. My favorite. That actually happened, right? hmm And then from watching, especially this last season, it's very, very clear that they have a lot of pop culture references as well. Yeah. So we have several upcoming episodes on different experiments and events that were inspiration for the show. I'm so excited about them. I know you You love your... Uh, I love a government experiment and I love a conspiracy. I was going to say your favorite experiment of them all. Oh, we're going to talk about my favorite experiment of them all today. So if you've listened to us before, some of the things that we're going to talk about today are a little bit of a recap, because sometimes the way the cookie crumbles is that we've talked about a lot of the things already, but we're going to talk about them again, some of it, and, you know, in a new way, in a new light. But the first thing that we're going to talk about today is we're going to start right into the historical context for Stranger Things. So as you know, the show was set in the 80s when there was significant conflict between the United States and what we now know as Russia, but was then the USSR. So we see that tension when there's the military experimentations in both countries and how they interact, the scenes with Hopper being imprisoned, and many scenes from previous seasons. So to set the scene of what exactly those tensions were between the United States and the USSR, <laughs> here's Mike's hype history segment. <laughs> I'm going to leave that laugh in first. Oh, yeah. It's a goofy ass <laughs> laugh. And so he's, he begins like very like, hello.
1: <laughs> so the Cold War refers to a time period of indirect conflict and an arms race between the Soviet Union or USSR and the United States that began immediately after the end of World War II in 1945. And it ended when the Soviet Union dissolved in 1991. These two countries were the only remaining superpowers, as all others were significantly weakened from their participation in the war. The U.S. and U.S.S.R. had two fundamentally different political and economic systems. The U.S.S.R. had an authoritative government with a communist economic system, and the U.S. was a democracy with a capitalist economy. Each superpower sought to spread their ideologies around the world while containing the spread of the other side. This led to many critical historical developments that still heavily influence international relations to this day, such as the Korean War, where the U.S.S.R. supported the North and the U.S. supported the South, the Cuban Missile Crisis, where the world came way too close to nuclear annihilation, Uh, the Vietnam War, and the Russian invasion of Afghanistan in the 1970s, which then heavily influenced the rise of Al-Qaeda and them targeting the U.S. and leading to the events of 9/11. The recurring theme of all these events was one of the superpowers would attempt to install new regimes that mirrored their own, while the other would attempt to contain them through many different means such as financial support, sending weapons and supplies, or sometimes even deploying their own troops. The only thing that truly kept it a cold war, as opposed to a hot war, was the fact that the two powers were never directly engaging each other with their own militaries. Eventually, poor management of the Soviet economy and government combined with attempts to match the stratospheric military spending of the U.S. led to the fall of the USSR, which caused a sharp decrease in global tensions and the risk of nuclear war.
0: And I want to say, he said that all in one take. Good for fucking Mike. Often, Amanda and I are saying the same things over and over again. If you've listened before, you know that we put our bloopers often at the end after the credits, um, so you can hear us not being able to say words. Forgetting how to speak or read or talk. Sometimes both at the same time. <laughs> Sometimes just noises come out. Like, yeah. <laughs> makes no sense. Yeah. He said that all in one, one take. No problem. Well, good for him. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> Let's move on from there to government experimentation. And like Lindsay said, we've covered a lot of this, but now looking at it through the context of Stranger Things, it does bring a new light on it. And if you want to listen to the first time we talked about it and other context about these experiments, go to our second episode ever published, the Black Forest episode, which was over 90 episodes ago now. Oh, my gosh. I know, right? I was like typing that in and being like, woof, what a minute. That's wild. Well, the first government experiment we're going to talk about is Project Bluebird. And in 1950, the CIA began Project Bluebird, and it was made to study the use of hypnosis for interrogation and as an initial foray into the application of behavior control. And just as a reminder, the CIA is a central intelligence agency. In 1952, Project Bluebird was repackaged to Project Artichoke. Silly fucking name. Yes. And the addition of drugs was added as a variable for the study of mind control and hypnosis. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Many consultants for Project Bluebird and Artichoke were hired on. To <laughs> I can't look at you when I say this. I know. <laughs> okay. They were hired on to begin experimentation under the umbrella project named MK Ultra. Everyone's heard of that one. Yes. Also, this is my favorite thing that we've ever covered on our episode. <laughs> and it's partially because in doing the research for this section originally, I went through every single document on the CIA's open library. So we're talking hundreds of documents and read every single one to come up with a synthesized description of what it was and what we found. And this is like the cherry on top. I like peaked episode two. <laughs> well, I just want to paint the picture for everyone. So like, as Lindsay's reading this, because I was doing some other research into that episode. Yeah. You know that meme of that guy that has like the maps and the pictures all over <laughs> the wall. Yeah, I think it's from uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yes. yes I don't watch is. the show, but I think it's from that. Yeah. Yeah. That was Lindsay. Absolutely. Messaging me and be like, "Do you see this? Do You see this? Have you seen this? This goes with this. That's nice, Lindsay. Well, I mean, it's crazy that that's real, but like she was very hyped about it. And then I was hyped about it. And then we made that wonderful episode. Yeah, it was a time. Oh, and while Amanda was talking, I looked it up. It was over 450 documents that I went through and read, like line by line. Some of them were just budget ones, so it wasn't too sexy. But there were some where I was reading it and I was like, the fuck? (laughs) She was sending me little like screenshots of them and I'm like, that's not real. That can't be real. What? Yeah, yeah, and we'll get into a second, like that's even just a fraction of the document. So as Amanda mentioned, the project name MK Ultra was an umbrella project. So it was like MK Ultra and then lots of little things and lots of different experiments underneath. So it was MK Ultra with lots of experiments that were happening underneath that header, if you will. It was composed of a 149 different subprojects, some of which involved experiments on quote unquote, unwitting participants. And so remember that phrasing, because when people talk about MKUltra, typically that is the portion that is skeeving everybody out, is the fact that the government was doing testing on people who did not consent to be tested. And so often when you look at how testing on humans works now, a lot of that comes from the fact that you have to have informed consent where people not only consent, but they know what it means to consent that we know of hopefully we should be doing that. I don't know. We can put tinfoil hats on and talk about that too. But some of the sub-projects that were under MK Ultra included fields of study like hypnosis, effects of behavioral drugs and alcohol. Are you ready? This is my favorite right, <laughs> line to read. Once again, aspects of magicians are useful in covert operations, like sneaking drug-related materials like into someone's drink or into their food so that you could see what it did. And so MKUltra was conducted from 1953 to 1964. So it was really right on the tail end of when Project Bluebird became Art- Project Artichoke and then Artichoke wrapped up and it became this, right? Yeah. So there were various experiments that were listed under subgroups. For the most part, it was unclear which subgroups the exact experiments were under. Because the CIA destroyed the majority of the documents related to MKUltra in 1973 at the direction of Dr. Sidney Gottlieb, who also happened to head the project. Interesting. As soon as the person in charge is going, burn this shit, you know nothing good has happened, right? You know something is, is bad, in my opinion. Yes. So largely what remains after that initial just... Destruction was financial information as well as documents discussing the approach of finding and notifying people who had been unwitting participants. So it was more of the fallout of what had happened after. Yeah. So some of the experiments included things like inducing amnesia. What a horror. Just terrifying in itself. <laughs> exactly. Keeping patients asleep for up to 65 days. And then during that time, they would play tapes with recorded messages. The fuck excessive electroshock therapy. No, thank you. I don't know where the line of excessive versus just electroshock therapy is. Unwitting too. <laughs> Unwittingly, right? Like shocks. So administering potentially dangerous drugs, you know, like LSD, sometimes at facilities, but also sometimes they would dose like their friends and families at social gatherings and like at their houses just to like see what would happen. See the chaos. Just like see it. I think that in our original episode, we were like, what a Thanksgiving. But I mean, could you imagine just like you go to a party? You're like, we're just going to hang out. Like, it's not a big deal. Take a little LSD in your drink. Yeah. You won't know. It's fine. Yeah, it's totally fine. They ordered a pizza. I thought it was going to be chill. We'll pop in. We'll pop out. And now you're, you've taken LSD. The night is no longer yours. So this next one freaks me out a bit just because of like the ramifications of how that would work. But what they would do is they had dogs and they would guide them through a course, right? That's not so strange, right? Because you think like they're going to have a leash. No, they did it via electric brain stimulation that was done kind of like offsite. So they would have something on their head and then it would be like connected to them. And as it would send currents through their head, they would know to turn different ways. We don't like that. It just makes me really sad. See, like the other ones, I'm like, that sucks. And But then the dogs, I'm like, those poor dogs. Those babies. And now it is time for my favorite. <laughs> my most favorite. Because partially because of the name, like whoever had the name on this one was just Chef's Kiss. Like get them naming everything is Operation Midnight Climax. <laughs> <laughs> I also have to say it in, like a cool way. You know, you came to be like Operation Midnight Climax. You have to like mean it. So Operation Midnight Climax, in San Francisco, there was an apartment that was leased by the CIA for the sole purpose of studying behavioral control and sexual behavior. So the government had sex workers that they hired who would dose unwitting clients with LSD. Then there was a CIA agent that was sitting on the other side of a two-way mirror that would watch the sexual interactions, and observe. And one of the parts that I didn't include in this outline, but I remember so thoroughly, was that I'm pretty sure he was sitting on like a commode on the other side of the room. Like he was like not just like in a chair. Fucking bizarre. It's horrific. Like it's really, really just horrific on all ends, but it's just, you can't say that name without smiling and laughing. What, Operation Midnight Climax? Every time, every time. (laughs) And also- any excuse to bring that up, like in a conversation, like I'm just looking at every, any given moment for a reason to bring it up. It really is. I think we've said it in like 12 episodes. Minimum. Minimum. I want to add merch to our store that's just a pillow that says Operation Midnight Climax. No context. Nothing else. Just like in like a, like a real deadpan, boring font. Just Operation Midnight Climax. It's like <laughs> a CIA form. Yes. Well, maybe like the typewriter forms because I read so many typewritten pages. Yeah. She'll go from like default face to just big smile (laughs) Operation Midnight Climax. My whole face lights up. Again, horrific, but stupid name. (laughs) But also, I think it's so interesting to talk about because I don't think it's strange to think that intelligence agencies might want to see how they can influence and manipulate people when there's sex involved Mm -hmm. or when there's drugs involved. But you can't just drug people I mean, you can, they did, but you shouldn't. You shouldn't just (laughs) drug people. But also the other part of that is that, like, the people that were paying for the sex and that interaction were also not consenting to be watched. Right? Like... No, none of this. That's just fucking weird to me. It is. And also, like, who's watching that? Like, could you imagine, like... You're the CIA agent's wife. Did they apply for that? They must have, right? Like, you're the CIA agent's wife, right? He comes home and he's like, boy, did I have a day? And she's like, oh, honey. It's like the 50s. Right? Oh, honey, I baked the roast. Like, whatever. How was your day? And he's like, you know, it was interesting. Like, you're just going and living like a normal ass day. Other than that, like, you're just like sitting there watching a sex worker, like, dose some guy's drink and being like, here you go. And then things are happening and you're like, okay, quit in time. And then you leave? and you're completely unfazed. This one's real wild. Real wild. All right, bye. <laughs> Five o'clock. <laughs> they wouldn't have this, but in my head, there's a time punch thing, and they leave yeah. with their like, pail of lunch. In that room? Yeah, in that room. What a moment. All of those things. All of those things. It's a whole scene. What a vibe. <laughs> but Operation Midnight Climax, for your listening pleasure. Okay, so moving on. Over 10 years after the project's conclusion, it began to be heavily covered in the media. The CIA was tasked with trying to find the subjects to notify them of their unwitting involvement. And there were policy changes made to keep similar testing on humans from occurring in the future. Now, what was it in our Blobs episode? People are like, we think this is a government experiment. So like, who knows if they followed that? Blobs was a moment. Blobs was a big moment. Sometimes I'll forget about an episode. I'm like, oh, yeah, because again, we're almost at 100 episodes. So Yeah. It's interesting because I'll have a friend who is like starting to listen or has been listening and they'll start talking about an episode as though it's right now because they're excited, Mm -hmm. right? They're like, I heard this and I love that. Like, please do like chat with us. Even if we don't know you, I want to know your thoughts. Like as you're thinking, i message us on Instagram or, or wherever. But it's funny because it'll take me a second to know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Like, because I'm not having the conversation with them, right? I'm having it with the gorgeous Amanda in the middle of talking about something else. And they'll just pick up on this. And I'm like... Oh, okay. Oh, 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 Okay, We're talking true creeps now. We're talking true creeps now. And I'll have to like pivot because oftentimes on our best, most organized time, episodes have like a few weeks in between when we record them and when we release them. So this is something that we may have researched like a month ago when it comes out. So I'm like, wait, let me flip through the archives. right right or when Lindsay came here to visit and we went and got tattooed and our tattoo artist we had just met him that day he's like wait a minute i think i have listened to this episode and he starts going off about a case that we covered what was it we're like it was molly bish it wasn't even a full episode on her she was in one of our true crime digest episodes where we talked about there was new evidence that they were starting to look at and he said different like facts of the case and we were like was it this and he was like yes And it was very unique because it was like she was like taken from a pool, like her mom had dropped her off. There was a guy in a car that everybody had seen. So it was very unique to that specific case. And we had just released it. So it was interesting that like it made its way to this stranger. Mm -hmm. Also, on a separate note, my mother-in-law, one of her like very close friends is named Princess. And she was like, oh, do you know a Lindsay Charlick? She is on a podcast that I listen to. And she was like, that's my (laughs) daughter-in-law. That's awesome. And I was like, what a little small world. Like That's my favorite is when someone finds us. I mean, I, f- I love when anyone listens, but strangers who are like, wait, is that this person you know? Yeah. It's very exciting. It is. So there are over 450 documents related to MKUltra in the CIA's open library, which Lindsay has read all of them. <laughs> and the vast majority are tied to the aftermath of hearings before the Senate, the search for unwitting participants. Freedom of Information Act requests, and now article clippings. So it's interesting that MK Ultra specifically is one of the inspirations for the show. And that really makes me wonder how everything is going to wrap up and if we are going to see some type of mind control, especially because in this season, look, there was a lot of marijuana references. Love that for them. It was hilarious. I loved Argyle. But it was the first time in which we really talked about drugs, and I would find it not altogether surprising if there was at least the consideration of Eleven using some different type of like mind-altering drugs to expand her power. And I wonder if that's where we're headed. Maybe. Could be. Anything's possible. Anything is possible. And with this next part we're going to talk about, I want to start with, there is a lot of from this point on, especially spoiler warnings. If you haven't seen this last season, you may want to watch the season first, because we're going to talk about specific characters and things that happened to that character. Absolutely. So a big influential part of this last season was Satanic Panic. And we brought it up a couple times now, but we're going to dive into it again. So what I think is really interesting about the satanic panic, as we call it, is it's like, it's basically like this moral concern where we're, everybody was freaked out about this one thing happening. And it was that there was going to be satanic rituals that were happening that were hurting people. And we saw that in, in this season, right? When Jason was in front of like the town hall, he had his microphone. Mm-hmm. It was very clear that he was very convincing and he basically riled everyone up and was like, this is exactly what happens. And so he had this narrative that there was satanic activity. And that was why what had happened in their town had happened. And when the satanic panic really was happening, what people thought was happening was they thought that it was satanic ritual abuse. It's also called SRA. And so that's really what was riling everybody up, was they were like, this is happening and here's what it is. And we'll get into more about it. But if you haven't listened to our satanic panic episode, we really frame it in that. And I think, again, one of my favorite episodes, because we really take the time to dissect what satanic panic was and how it worked. We're going to talk about it today, too. But if you want in depth, that's where to go. Right, right. So there were a bunch of different researchers that researched SRA or satanic ritual abuse, and they summarized the typical claims that were involved by the claim makers during satanic panic. So some of the typical claims were there were organizations that perpetrate crimes against children in service of Satan. There were conspiratorial networks. Some suggest that there were intergenerational families that have a practice of this. The sexual abuse and torture was supposedly done to reprogram good children to become evil and to brainwash them into worshiping Satan. They were also sacrificing infants who were bred for this purpose. And then parts of those infants were eaten. Other claims were they were kidnapping kids who ran away so that they could be sacrificed. They were murdering indigent people. And they were also engaging in human trafficking, the sale of drugs, and child pornography. These behaviors are able to be kept quiet because Satanists are well-connected. And even at the high levels, they were able to just organize all of this. Hmm. Pretty lofty claims. This is big claims. Big, big claims. Wild that anybody thinks that that's happening. And I think that there's terrible things happening in our world. I just don't think it's those. At least if they're being done, I don't think they're being done all by the same organization. <laughs> yeah, all by the of the same organization. And I mean, this to me really sounds just like modern day QAnon. So when I hear all of these claims, right, they sound. So far out there. Like, it's a hard thing to get to these beliefs. I can understand being scared that, like, something would happen to your kid if, like, X, Y, Z, right? But this was really happening during a time when kids, I don't think, were supervised the way they are now. When I was a kid in the 90s, I would walk down to friends' houses. My parents let me do that. That was really common. You could get off the bus and stay home by yourself until your parents got home, unless you were, like, very young. But I remember being a childish doing that. And so it's interesting that in an era where children were more independent, this belief structure really ran rampant. And so how did this happen? During this time, satanic cult crime accusations were everywhere in the media so they were in news programs magazines books talk shows on radio shows In a 1994 national study by Red Book magazine, they found that there was actually 70% of people who believed that satanic ritual abuse was actually happening. That's a lot of people. Right? That's a lot of the populace. And so in addition to the general population's belief that this, honestly, urban legend was credible, there was also legitimate people in the community who were bolstering this, like mental health providers. So there was a a national survey that was conducted regarding psychotherapists. And what they found was that of those that were sampled, none of them had a single instance where there was actual evidence to substantiate the claims of satanic ritual abuse. And to me, that's interesting because we're talking about like a cross sampling of the entire country of mental health providers. And none of them are like, oh, there was a court case. Here's what happened after. Or there was a lawsuit here's what happened after. And so legends of satanic cult crimes really took off when law enforcement agencies also began to bolster their credibility. So what's interesting is that, okay, so we have people are concerned. So then the news covers it. So then people are more concerned. And because people are more concerned, politicians start to pass laws against satanic ritual abuse, which means they then begin to legitimize the accusations and these legends. So these things that began as kind of an urban legend then get legislated against like it's not already illegal to murder an infant. Yeah. And so people are like, we wouldn't pass laws against it if it wasn't an issue. Yeah, yeah. And so it's this weird cycle that makes it more and more credible seeming. Right, right. They're like, if it's somewhere in law, then it must be there somewhere. Yeah, because why else would it be there? Yeah, exactly. So there were people who became regarded as occult experts that were used when trying cases and investigating suspects. And sometimes they would have a very shady educational background that didn't really make a lot of sense. In one of the cases that we're going to talk about today, the occult expert that was used when getting his PhD in occult studies did not attend a single in-person class. Yeah. Wild. Right. And they won't just give me a ghost PhD, but this guy. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. So as of 2012, some courts held that evidence of satanic involvement as proving intent or motive. Most crimes that have satanic involvement are trespassing, vandalism, cruelty to animals or stealing. And they're not violent crimes against humans. So I think what's so interesting about that is that, in effect, what that does is it means that when they're investigating this crime, rather than saying this cat stole this jam because it loves jam, they look at the pentagram that the cat drew with some of the stolen jam on the floor and they go, ah, the cat's a satanist. That's why it stole the jam. And then it killed babies, too. Yeah, and then it did all of these other things because that's what Satanists do. And it kind of, like, inflames the whole issue when it was like, this cat stole a jar of jam. Not great. But, like, you're now pulling in this whole different issue that had nothing to do with the jam. Right. Because they were, like, being a little funny cat and thought that it would be funny to draw a pentagram in jam, right? So it's interesting that, like, that's the kind of like legal maneuvering that was somehow okay. Yeah, yeah. And as a recap of something we did bring up before is on churchofsatan.com, some of the satanic rules of the earth include do not harm little children and do not kill non-human animals unless you are attacked or for food. Yeah. So that brings us to our beloved character, Eddie Munson, The season. The fave. Fave. And Eddie Munson is based off of someone who we've already talked about named Damien Eccles. And Damien Eccles was one of the boys in the West Memphis Three and kind of sounds like a band, but it's actually the nickname for three teenagers who were wrongfully convicted of murdering three young boys in 1993. So we also have a full episode on the West Memphis Three, and we cover updates to their ongoing case in our True Crime Digest episodes. And looking at their trial and everything going on with them, it's almost a case study in the issues the Satanic Panic era caused exactly and so the west memphis three are now free but not because they were exonerated they actually had to plead guilty as a condition of their release and we get into it more in our episode with the details of that but a side effect of their guilty plea is that there really aren't efforts to find out who was responsible for the murders of christopher byers michael moore and stevie branch and we covered this in our latest True Crime Digest, but counsel for Damien Eccles has submitted filings to the court to have more evidence tested using more modern DNA technology. And it's wild that the people who were blamed for these murders are the ones who were seeking justice for these kids. Yeah. If you've watched the new season and you're familiar with the West Memphis Three, then you can kind of see how they related what Eddie's going through to the Satanic Panic and how it's pretty similar to to what happened to Damien. And Damien recently tweeted, he's tremendously honored when he was asked about his feelings of having the character based off of him. Because Damien was a young teenager. He had black hair. He was interested in the occult. He wore black clothing. And so it was because of this that they assumed he was involved very early on. And when Chrissy dies in Stranger Things, it's pretty clear as a viewer that the things that happened to her were not something that like a young man could do. Oh yeah, that really anyone could do. Right? Like, I mean, it was horrific, right? So it was interesting to see it was something where it was so visibly clear that it wasn't a human entity. I don't know how you wrap your head around that as law enforcement, but I think it was like a very... Start comparison of like, how do you think this person could do this? Yeah, absolutely. And again, we'll keep following what's happening with the West Memphis Three in our True Crime Digest going forward. So we're going to move on to talking about the new season. So again, spoiler alert. But as we're talking about the new season, we're also going to see how it relates to things in our world today. So a couple different call outs or callbacks, and then also an actual place that exists. I'm really excited. I loved all the Easter eggs this season, and it was fun picking them out as they were going. That is one of my favorite things when I'm watching something, being like, that's this thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So something that came up recently, I don't know if you saw parts of the interview, but millie bobby brown was talking about how she wanted more folks to be killed off yes i did i thought it was hilarious because she was like the cast photos are just simply too large i love that i was like kind of sad that she was just like yeah just kill them off and i'm like don't you like working with all these people i feel like they always have so many different uh interviews and stuff where they they truly do look like good friends yeah she was like kill me off i don't care do what you must just like okay (laughs) no (laughs) i still see her as like seven so yeah i understand which also interesting i thought that that was a CGI version of her. I did not realize that that was another little girl who she directed to help her perform Millie's mannerisms. That was wild to me. Yeah. Yeah, that was. So talking about a couple of the Easter eggs, and this isn't all of them. There's so many more, but just the ones that we caught. And also the ones that we liked the most. (laughs) The ones that we liked the most. Yeah, I keep seeing people posting about how it's so similar to scenes in Star Wars too. Hmm. And I was like, I can't sit through Star Wars, so I have no idea. (laughs) I love Star Wars, but I don't really see it. I'll send you a video later. There's a bunch of like this and this. And I'm just like, who's that? (laughs) Who's that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this is one of my favorite ones because I feel like I love Steve more and more throughout each season. And so when he says he wants six little nuggets when he's talking to Nancy, it's interesting because when he's watching the kids, he is often watching six of them. I also keep seeing memes about like a hardworking single mother and it's always him. And I think it's (laughs) the funniest thing. Like it always brings a smile to my face. (laughs) Yeah, that is cute. I didn't catch that one that there were six of them. That is cute. Yeah, yeah. So one thing I did notice was the vials of the Demogorgons this season look just like Alien. Yes. Yes. Which Winona Ryder is in. hmm Yep. In that scene. So like it kind of mirrors it. I like that. Yeah. My favorite part this season, it, as stupid as it is, is the Michael Myers mask coming back when Eddie's like running around with it on. Like this won't cause anyone to see that I'm here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is not suspicious at all. I'll wear a murderer's mask. Right, right. And like, it's a callback because Max wore it in the Halloween episode. I want it was the last season or season before. Yeah, because they were all Ghostbusters. And then she had a Michael Myers mask on. I was like, I love this for you. <laughs> yes. Another one that I caught was uh, the Molly Ringwald callbacks with Robin's crush. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's like going for Molly Ringwald. And that's so cute. Because like, obviously, that era was yeah. the era of Molly Ringwald. And yeah, like she wore a similar outfit, the hat, and then the hair. And later, after I was watching um, a couple like interviews and stuff, and they were like, yeah, we needed to find the hair, the Molly Ringwald hair. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I didn't realize this, but Maya Hawk is Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke's daughter. Yeah. Which now looking at her, I'm like, yes, you are a complete mixture of the two humans. <laughs> but I didn't realize that before. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, her face. I was like, why do I know her face? And I think it was the first time she was in Stranger Things. And I'm like, that's why I know her face. She looks identical to her mother. Yes. So another reference that we noticed was the snowball scene with Max when she's in her memories. And there was the it callback to the exploding blood balloons. Yeah, and so the reference that I immediately thought of was formal event plus blood equals Carrie. And like the reddish hair, she like a strawberry blonde. That's what I immediately, my brain was like, Carrie! Yeah, of course. And so Vecna, which, fascinating, brilliant, love him. I love Cancun Vecna. Oh my gosh, Cancun Vecna, Amanda's (laughs) favorite. Victor Creel, who, if you haven't watched, I'm sorry, was Vecna's father, was Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. Which chef's kiss but it's interesting that he's nightmare crashing which is inspired by freddy krueger and the nightmare on elm street franchise so i love that it's like like father like son kind of and even if you look at like the way he was designed in colors it's kind of freddy krueger-y oh yeah yeah you get that vibe like just from his face oh yeah and also preying on fear's it's Pennywise again, but his look was actually inspired by Pinhead from Hellraiser and the Night King from Game of Thrones. And if you think of the texture on him, that's what makes me think of the two as to kind of together. Different color aesthetic, but just like the texture. Yeah. So this next part is my favorite part. Of all of this is that talking of Victor Creel, where we meet Victor Creel is Penhurst. And the inside of Penhurst that we see was influenced by Silence of the Lambs, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and Shutter Island. And specifically, Victor Creel's cell very much looks like where Dr. Hannibal Lecter meets Clarice for the first time in Silence of the Lambs. Oh, you're right. It is. And also, I just need everyone to know that I recently stayed at Buffalo Bill's house where the scenes were shot and we watched Silence of the Lambs there and it was chef's kiss. An amazing time. I hope they had it like ready to be watched, right? Well, no, they just had like the DVD. They had like hundreds of DVDs there, and like, but what they did have was like when you walked into the basement, the music would turn on from the scene where he's dancing, and then you see like yeah. his like little room, and there's like lights and on and stuff. It was a neat thing. But so, Penhurst is a real place, and originally it was called Pennsylvania State for the feeble-minded and epileptic. Problematic. Okay. Yeah. It opened in 1908 and it was originally intended to be a facility for people with mental illnesses and people with disabilities. And it was renamed Penhurst in 1913. But the 1960s, it housed almost 2,800 patients, which is a lot of people just generally. Yeah. But at that number, it was over a thousand patients over capacity. That's scary in itself. Like, can you imagine that's that many people and that many over? Yes, that's an incredible amount. And so... We're going to talk pretty much about how fucking terrible it was. So there was an investigation into the hospital in 1968 by a man named Baldini. And what he said was that Penhurst was like a zoo, but that zoos treated the animals better. And this is like by 1968 zoo standards, right? Like when they cared less about animals than they do today. So given that it was over a thousand patients over capacity, there was not adequate space for all the people who were there. So some of the things that they found when they were investigating the hospital and later in lawsuits that were filed and from survivor stories is that there was restraints used on patients when there wasn't enough staff to monitor patients. So they didn't have enough people to kind of like watch the floor. So they would just restrain people. Horrific. They would use drugs to control the patients rather than to treat them. I mean, where they learned that from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So because they were understaffed and honestly poorly managed, it was pretty disgusting inside. So there was feces and urine on the floors regularly, and it wasn't cleaned up in any type of reasonable time. Bathrooms were left unstocked and unclean. So they often didn't have towels or soap, but they also didn't have toilet paper. So they kept children in cages. Children were found lying in their own excrement. They had been restrained to their beds, and some were kept in straitjackets, while they were blindfolded. So sad. Yeah. Staff would instigate with patients so that they would start a fight with one another, and then they would break it up. They would step in to break it up because they were fighting, and they would beat them severely. In some instances, they would beat patients so severely that they would become wheelchair-bound. Horrific. So in 1977 alone, there were over 850 injuries reported. And those injuries ranged from things like bruises and scratches to bites. Someone had Three quarters of their earlobe bitten off. There were large bruises, teeth that had been knocked out, cigarette burns and black eyes. So it's no surprise that in 1987, Penhurst was closed and nine employees were indicted for physical abuse. That still doesn't seem like enough. It doesn't seem like enough at all. But it doesn't seem as though everyone who was associated with that hospital was terrible. I read some instances where there were people who worked at the hospital who would come in on holidays so that they could celebrate it with patients who had been abandoned by their families. And then... Also, just as like part of the way in which these hospitals were run at this time, there wasn't housekeeping services on the weekends. So that might be one of the reasons why there was like feces and urine everywhere. And there were employees who would volunteer to come in and take care of patients because the state wasn't paying for these services. Oh, wow. Which is heartbreaking. Just going off of, like, the experiments, too. And, like, obviously the abuse. It kind of reminds me of Briarcliff. I don't think it was based off of it. But American Horror Story season Asylum makes me think of it. That was a painful season to watch. A very good season, but it was painful. Yeah. So today, the hospital is privately owned and ghost tours are conducted there. And so there are several reports of hauntings. So we're going to get into those. So an employee of the ghost tour company reported that they had an interaction with a ghost of a little girl and that they could feel her hugging them. This particular ghost is thought to linger around the tunnels and will often interact with visitors. Sometimes she will scratch people. And there has been at least one report of her locking someone in an old wardrobe, which is significantly more terrifying than being hugged by a ghost. Oh, yeah. Could you even imagine? I would flip the fuck out. No, thank you. There have also been sightings of a small, dark-haired girl that is often seen hunched over. And people say that they have been scratched and pushed by her. At least one medium has said that there are demonic forces in the building. And others have reported seeing shadow people, seeing apparitions that were just the torso up, seeing orbs, hearing disembodied voices and children's laughter. When in the tunnels, someone heard a child whisper, "Doll." into their ear another person reported feeling breath on their neck and then felt something lick their fucking ear no <laughs> like <laughs> no thank you sweet fucking god like being licked by a ghost and not surprisingly the part of the building where that happened that's no longer open to the public I think they have like posts like you will be licked by a ghost yeah like do not pass licked So the families of the people who were killed or abused in Penhurst really wanted the building made into a museum or memorial for the patients of Penhurst. And they're pretty pissed off at the fact that it's a haunted attraction where you can book tours, which feels pretty reasonable is they're basically like profiting off of the darkness that like their family suffered from. Yeah. So moving away from Penhurst and getting back to the show itself, when Lucas asked Max to go to the movies with him. And she agreed. I think everyone had a bad feeling in their stomach, right? Yeah, it was really sad. Yeah, like Ben and I looked at each other and we were like, someone's gonna die. One of them's gonna die. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I was like, one of them will. But I was like, will it be her? Or like, it would totally make sense that he finally like got his chance again. And then, yeah, yeah. Well, especially his fight with Jason. That was a scary fight. Yeah, it was. And I was just like, oh my gosh, is his sister gonna find him? like during that fight. Yes. So pineapple pizza. Yes or no? Um, yes. All the time. I love pineapple pizza. I love it. I think it's great. I thought that all of the death scenes this season were incredibly sad and also like uncomfortable, like the cracking sounds. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen anybody. There's people who are like on Etsy who are selling like wetly squelches. Because like, if you do watch anything with closed captioning on. Yeah, sometimes. I always watch everything with closed captioning on, and the closed captioning during the death scenes was, like, pretty fucking gross. (laughs) Like, wetly squelches, bones cracking quickly, like, that kind of stuff. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, like, not only when they're, like, being mutilated, but also just, like, some of your favorites dying were hard to watch. Yes. Like, when Eddie was, like, okay. And like, we think he's dead. I'm hoping he's not dead. I'm hoping that him having a bat tattoo means that somehow he's connected with bats and things will be okay. It is a fucking dream. I am aware. Yeah. But I have to tell you, there was one death in the season that I don't think anybody was mad about. And that was fucking Jason. <laughs> it was so satisfying. Yes. <laughs> it was like, somebody get this fuck out of here. Right. And then like with Max, how they like beat it in your head. They're like. You're sad. And you have hope for a second. And then Eleven, like going into her mind in the hospital and it's just like black. And you're like, does that actually mean? And I mean, I think there's more to it. I think there's more that's going to happen with it, but still, like, it broke my heart that scene of her just looking around. Yes. Also, I will say in an interview with the creators after Millie's interview, where she was like, kill people, they were like, oh, yeah. That is not the kind of show this is. We are not Game of Thrones. That's not who we are. And that makes me feel a little bit good in that people aren't always going to die. And also, like, they never fucking lived Barb down. People kept being like, Barb! And they're like, (laughs) she's dead. That's probably why they brought her back this season when Nancy was, like, caught by Vecna. I like that you don't lose everybody all the time. And sometimes you can hope with them. Yeah. That feels good. It makes you feel like, I don't know, it makes you feel like closer to the characters because you hope so much. Yes. Yes, agreed. I loved their song choices too. Like, aside from just Kate Bush, like everyone, you know, is all about Kate Bush right now. But like Susie and the Banshees, I didn't even notice it the first time. And I was like, oh my gosh, that credit song. I know that. Uh obviously everyone's talking about Metallica and like Eddie's rendition of Master of Puppets. And then I don't know if everyone's seen it yet, but there's videos of the actor who played Eddie, Joseph Quinn. And he hung out with Metallica and Metallica gave him a replica of Eddie's guitar. And then I know I was like, I was so happy for him to be able to because like he actually played guitar too. Like he's been playing forever and he's like, yeah, I pretty much played all of it. But then at Lollapalooza, they closed their set with Eddie on the screens above them. Heck yeah. And then I'm not like the biggest Metallica fan. They're not really my favorite, but like I respect them for like what they do. Yeah, same. Same. But I did see something where someone online was like, I'm so sick of these, like, fake Metallica fans coming from Stranger Things. And Metallica's like, we don't care how they found us. Like, we love everyone. And, like, they were just so positive and stuff. And it it gained more points with me. Yeah, yeah. There's also something very endearing about a celebrity, like kind of geeking out when they meet somebody who they adore like that I love those kind of like interactions I think they're very sweet they are yeah yeah and just those videos if you haven't watched it you should watch it because then they have like a little jam session and it's adorable so our next section is Amanda's her soul her heart, I came into our notes, and Amanda became the person who had, like, the posters on the wall with the strings, like, listen to this <laughs> song, have you listened to it? And I'm like, okay, I will. And I'm like, that's a really weird fucking song. It's a great <laughs> song, but it definitely wasn't, like, what I was expecting in my moment. I don't know what I was expecting, but not that. But like, Amanda was like, okay, so it's like, it could be this, it could be that, it could be this. And I was like, whoa. All of my theories. Whoa. I was like, I'm overwhelmed. I was like, guess who's talking about this, Amanda? It's you. (laughs) I had like, no joke, at least like 60 tabs open at this moment as I was researching. Amanda, how many tabs do you have open right now, anyway? Just as a normal basis. I just closed a bunch because I'm always afraid that while we're recording, like a newscaster is going to start screaming about something, as they often do. Yeah, so I only have nine open right now. I only have nine. <laughs> Love that. Love that for you. What about you? You're like 63. I just closed six, but one, two, three. I have about 20 open, just chilling. Okay, okay. This is, yeah, this is skimmed down right now because like recording, I restart, I start over. But anyway, so I went down a rabbit hole when I was looking at theories about the next season because Everyone's talking about what is going to happen, who's going to be on it, who's going to be saved, who's going to actually die, right? And something that I know very, very little about, and I will totally be open with it, is Dungeons and Dragons. So, like, when I started watching Stranger Things and I was like, Dungeons and Dragons, and like when they're naming all the bad guys with Dungeons and Dragons, I'm like, okay, like that's interesting. There's, I think, a movie coming out soon too about Dungeons and Dragons. So, like, people are leaning into it. I think it has Chris Pine. Oh, yeah? I think it does. I could be wrong. Have you ever played before? No, I know nothing. So, Ben and I played for a little bit. And I'll say like, it's a really fun time, but it is a very time intensive hobby that I don't no longer have like the bandwidth for. But what I could never get into is speaking in first person like your character. So you're not like my character strolls up and punches someone in the face. You say like, oh, I walked up and I was like, I raised my fist back and I punched him square in the nose. And I'm like, oh, I just can't do that. Because the friends that we were with, sometimes they would be like, they would be this character. And I was like, Ugh. to be like that kind of human, I'm not that person. And so I was like, I feel like I'm not enjoying this as much because I can't be this like mythical being. But it's a fun game to play. And if you have a really good like dungeon master, which we did, I say like I'm biased. Like I know I had a fun time. I thought they did a really good job like pacing us. But it was still like we were playing for like seven hours. See, I knew that I am not a Dungeons and Dragons person because I have tried to play some convoluted horror board games and I can't even like wrap my head around these. I don't know if you've ever played Betrayal at House on the Hill or Horrified, but like there's so much going on that I'm just like too much. Like I'm an Uno type of person. Okay, two (laughs) things. The first is I'm looking at you, but I'm also talking to my bestie Damien. I haven't played it yet. I'm sorry, but I have to play it with you. Damien got me the game that's Betrayal at House on the Hill. And I still haven't played it partially because it, it is really intense. Would you describe yourself as like a board game girly? Because I absolutely would describe myself like that. Like I love a game with lots of rules. It's really intense. I like Clue. That's the top of my list. Clue is, is, where, is where you go. I can do Clue. But like anything above Clue just seems too convoluted. Even like with video games, I'm just now starting to get into video games that have more than like Mario running to the right. No, that's fair. Like with video games, I want as simple as possible. I want to cook something or like guess a murderer. (laughs) But no, with board games, I want like lots of rules and all of those things. And it like brings me great joy to understand it and describe it to others. Like that is like 10 out of 10 for me. And that's why, like, I respect people that can do Dungeons and Dragons and can remember all of this, but it's a lot for me. But with that being said, I went down a Dungeons and Dragons rabbit hole and I am no expert. I I am not claiming to be. I'm sorry, what aren't you? I am not a scientist of Dungeons and Dragons. You're not a Dungeons and Dragons scientist. I am not and I will never claim to be because there's too much going on. But I did fall into a couple rabbit holes around Dungeons and Dragons and read a couple websites that went into very much detail about what's going on. So something that I thought was interesting is... In Dungeons and Dragons, the most powerful villain is the dragon named Boris, according to ScreenRant.com, at least. And I thought that that was really interesting because in my head, when they named Vecna, I'm like, oh, that's like the big bad. But apparently it's, it's not. So there might be something else. But something that I thought was interesting is Boris has scales that like glow red and he has clouds gathered beneath his wings. And it's kind of like a storm. And so I'm wondering if maybe the final boss in the next season could be that because they're kind of hinting to it quite a bit, like the storms and all of the red. Yeah. And so I thought it was interesting that Vecna is actually the number two big bad. Mm. I was reading that there's another villain that helps defeat Vecna named. I could be saying it wrong. It's Iuzi. I know someone's gonna come at me. I'm so sorry. I'm trying. I'm trying this Dungeons and Dragons thing. I'm trying. <laughs> but he's absorbed by Vecna. And then ultimately, he's freed at some point. Another thing that I saw is that one of Vecna's lieutenants named Kaz betrays Vecna and kills him with a sword. But weirdly, for some reason, Vecna's left hand and eye remains. So again, you know how you said maybe a spinoff? Yeah. Like there's going to be a hint left maybe. And again, this is just going off of what happens in Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know how far the Duffer Brothers are going to take this. But speaking of the red dragon, the end of the last season has like that red lightning and the haze. And then also that painting that Will gives to Mike is a red dragon. Mm. And then another tangent that I was like, huh, this seems weird. You know, speaking of Will, there's a lot of parallels with Will to Vecna slash Henry, you know, depending on the time frame you're looking at. Mm -hmm. Like they both draw the mind flare. And I believe, right, like they're clearly hinting that they're connected somehow. This is not related to this conversation, but it is related to Will and Mike. If your best friend was seated next to you and turns their head and begins to sob, do you think you might notice? I feel like you would, but Mike seems like he's kind of like aloof a lot, right? Yeah, but there's not like it's not like he could be on his phone. Like he's sitting in this van (laughs) with his like sobbing friend. Two stoners in the front. I mean, he's a quiet sober. You can only be so quiet. (laughs) I I mean, yeah. Also, his haircut actively made me angry. I don't even need to say which he I'm talking about. You know, you know. (laughs) Everyone was like, what is his haircut? Why did you do this to him? Have you seen any of the uh, interviews with him where he's like, I don't know why they won't give me new hair? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is the same hair from when he was a kid, but like, don't do him like that. He doesn't deserve that. I also did see confirmation from the actor that plays him. I believe his name's Noah. That Will is in love with Mike. And I'm glad that they like officially said it because I was like, are they going to do this thing where it's like, it's actually 11, but this whole time we thought it was Mike because that would be very annoying. But anywho, let's get back to Amanda's rabbit holes. My rabbit hole. So remember when I said I stayed up, I stayed up forever. And I was listening to a Kate Bush interview from 1992 of her explaining her songs. And the reason I was doing it is because you know how the Duffer brothers like put a bunch of hints in and then like when you watch the next season, you're like, oh, they totally like hinted towards that. Yeah. Oh, it was that. Yeah. hmm. So I'm like, they're really into music, right? And they like cultivate their music carefully. And Kate Bush's song, obviously, like I said, it's on the radio every 10 minutes now. Every time I think of Max and I'm like, I want to watch Stranger Things again. One thing that I read is that she self-produced her album. And so she's making a ton of money now. Love that. I want to say it was over like two million, but based off of her success years ago. So I was like, that's really cool. Like it was self-produced. She's getting the money. Yeah, it's really nice. So the album that Running Up That Hill came from is called Hounds of Love. And that was from 1985. And in the album, she's like, there's clearly an A side and a B side. And one of them is about someone being in trouble and eventually getting rescued. So she talked about every song. It's a long interview, but I'm going to briefly talk about some of the songs that I think could potentially have like a connection with Stranger Things. And again, who knows if this is what they were looking at, but I thought it was interesting. So Running Up That Hill, the famous one right now, was originally called Deal With God, but she was told that religious countries wouldn't play it. So she was like, I guess I'll change it. And now she like regrets it, or at least when she did the interview. But it's about a man and a woman, if they could trade places to understand each other. And I thought that was just interesting. I feel like Eleven's like, why is she here? And like, they kind of wanted to trade in a sense. And she was like, trying to be there for Max, I took that as she literally thought that she was the monster. And then she finds out that she's not. She finds out that it's him. That's true, too. Because all of her memories, you could see her being like, I've done this terrible thing. And then when she switches, when she kind of like sees the full picture, then she sees like, I was not the monster here. Right, right. And then Hounds of Love was inspired by an old black and white movie called Night of the Demon. And obviously, when you think of demon, like I kind of think of Vecna. Another song on there is called Mother Stands for Comfort. And this is a big stretch. But it's about a mother of a murderer prepared to protect her son against anything. And my guess is that this might kind of play a role in next season. And because remember how I said Will might be connected somehow to Vecna, right? And they're kind of hinting towards it. Like Mm -hmm. he has like that feeling that he's around and all of that. Well, I'm wondering if Will is super connected and that perhaps he starts doing things that aren't so great. And maybe Joyce tries to protect him, even though that may be... Could bring the end of the world. Perhaps he's the other villain that does help defeat Beckna. Exactly. So I feel like they're so connected. Maybe, you know, he's connected to the upside down. And if he starts doing something horrific, you know, Joyce isn't going to be like, yeah, oh no, we have to save the world. She's going to go, I need to save my boy. Yeah, as she should. Mm-hmm. That's what you do. So another one is Cloud Busting. This one, again, is a little bit of a stretch, but it's inspired by a book by Peter Reich. And it's about his view of his father through the eyes of a child, like, when he was a kid. And the father's work was controversial, and he was arrested and died in prison. And I'm almost like, oh, maybe this is Papa's work? Like, his work was interesting, and he was trying a bunch of weird things, and he was, like, doing bad things at the same time. But, like, it was controversial. So... Maybe. Another one is And Dream of Sheep. This one's, again, a little weird, but it's about being in water alone with a life jacket and a little light. Mm. And it's like a story again. They're left alone to their imagination and they're trying not to fall asleep because if they fall asleep they could roll over and drown and so in the song it says something like little light will guide them to me and i almost feel like this is max in a way when she's talking about being in the light and staying in the light and then 11's able to find her it also makes me think of the perspective of when 11 enters into her astral projection it's typically dark with like a light in the distance so it's like a little light yeah another one is called under ice and at the end of the song she said it was something about being like in a frozen river and they're kind of seeing themselves and they're freaking out. But visitors come to wake them up and bring them out of this dream state. Hmm. And I think it's like the the wake up part starts at the next song, which is waking the witch. It reminds me of a couple of things. It reminds me of them being able to wake everyone up from like their weird dream states, right? But then when they're saying wake up at the beginning of waking the witch, it reminds me of Eddie first, right? Yeah, like trying to get Chrissy to wake up, you hear that song now. But also, it legitimately sounds like his voice in the song, too. It kind of does. Yeah, it does. To me a lot. This is, I think, my favorite song from the album. It's really weird. Yeah, I would say it's really unique. Yeah, it is. It is. But in like a good way. Like, yeah. I like weird stuff. Yeah. So like, I like it a lot. But it starts out with people saying in different voices, wake up. And I guess, remember, this is self-produced. It's like people that she knew. She's I think she said like her dad is one of them. Huh. That says wake up in the song. And the song is about a woman being persecuted by a witch hunter, and the jury pushes her underwater to see if she sinks or floats. And they do this even though she's done nothing wrong. And it kind of reminded me of Eddie, like how they're persecuting him, even though he really didn't do anything. It also reminds me of them hunting Eleven and acting as though she mm-hmm. did this even though she didn't, she wasn't even in the state. Yeah, she's innocent. The song also has, I, I made Lindsay stop what she was doing. I'm like, you have to listen to the song. But the song has a demon voice and like a clock in the background. Mm-hmm. And the demon sounds like. Vecna, if you listen to this song, not knowing that it, it had nothing to do with Stranger Things, you would think it had to do something with Stranger Things if you listen to it now. Yes, Yes. I think it's also a hint that Max could wake up. At least that's my hope. Yeah. I also, this is again, another hope of mine is that they use this song during like the final battle of season five, because I think it could totally make sense. Or the beginning of season five. Yeah, I just want it in season five. So make that happen. And then, I mean, there are several other songs. I think that if you really want to stretch it, you can relate them to Stranger Things. One of them kind of sounds like the upside down to me. The other one is basically like their future self telling them don't give up and to stay alive. Because if they don't stay alive, then obviously their future self doesn't exist. And I think they're hinting that there might be some sort of time travel. That'll be happening, obviously, because like the Upside Down is a few years before. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if that could come up at some point in the next season. And then remember how I said it's a story. Her last song is about being rescued. And again, I'm hoping that refers to Max or, you know, Eddie, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So just interesting. I think that everyone should listen to her album now. Absolutely, and so as we continue on with our Stranger Things inspiration episodes, we're going to talk about some of the things that we've talked about today in terms of maybe this will be in next season. Notable example would be time travel, the government conspiracy slash experiments the Duffer Brothers have brought up. Some of them include time travel, and some of them include things that we haven't seen yet, and notably transformations in characters. And so I'm really excited to talk about them. I think those are going to be really fun episodes. They're not going to be as chock full of Stranger Things references. They really are going to be more about the underlying experiment or event. Yeah. But we'll obviously we'll like we'll mention it during it. And I'll probably have it in the episode titles just so like it's easier to find. But they will be more let's talk about this thing rather than let's talk about Easter eggs and stuff like that. So just so if you're taking a listen to that, you don't expect, oh, like this is going to be a Stranger Things episode. It's going to be... What inspired Stranger Things. Yes. Yes. And when we started the research for it, it got very exciting because I was like, if this is what inspired them, we are in for a surprise. Yes. Yes. Same like one heck of a surprise. And I'm really excited. And this was a really fun episode. I love this one. Yeah, I like talking about our thoughts and like what we took away from something because everyone's is going to be different. So if you took away something from the new season that we didn't mention, tell us like we'd love to share it and talk about it. Absolutely. And as we promised at the top of the episode, we are going to talk about how you can support the show. If you liked today's episode and it was your first, second, third or tenth time listening and you haven't left us a review, we would really appreciate that. Reviews help us grow, and that's what we want to do. We want to creep with more people. If you send us a screenshot of your review and your mailing address, we'll send you a sticker as a thank you. Again, we mentioned at the top of the episode that we have a Patreon to pay for the quality that we try to provide, and we're going to talk a little bit about those tiers. The first is our Mittens Patreon tier, and with that, you get access to the Bat Bonfire, which is our Patreon-only Facebook group, and access to our Discord, which I love. That's just a dollar a month. Our dump ghost is $5 a month and you get everything in mittens. Plus you get a sticker when you join and every year on your Patreon anniversary. At $8, we have our Fire Yeti tier. (laughs) And if you've listened for a while, you'll know these references. And if you haven't listened for a while, the fun thing is, is you now get to go find out what these are from. Yes. (laughs) So in the Fire Yeti, you get everything we talked about before, plus our custom fall card. But only if you join by september 15th so be sure to do it soon if you do want to get that custom card and at 25 we have our vortex bouncer so you get everything you've said before plus you get either a t-shirt or a tote when you join and for your yearly patreon anniversary and i don't think we've actually talked about it on the show since we started it but we also have a new patreon tier which we're hyped about (laughs) our newest patreon tier is jam thief our favorite reference of all time that will never die because we talk about it all the time. But that one is $50 a month. But with that, you get all of the gorgeous things we talked about before. Access to the Bat Bonfire and the Discord. Annual custom card of all members. A t-shirt or tote. Plus a sticker when you join and when you have your anniversary. And when you join, you get a jar of locally made jam that we will send to you. And we'll send you a different jar of jam on your Patreon anniversary each year. You'll also get a shout out in our show notes, and this is the only tier in which you get that. Yes, Our show notes are generally filled with good information and fun information, and we don't want to make it too long. So we've talked about like having that cap so it's not too many people. Yes. Just make sure that no one steals your jam. Yeah. Because you're <laughs> the jam thief. You're the jam thief. Also- There are a ton of free ways that you can support the show. You can share us with your friends so they can creep when we post things. Feel free to share it. Interact with us on social media because it pleases the algorithm gods. (laughs) It does. But we really appreciate our Patreons and any and all support to the show. Yeah. Well, as always, we want to know what you are thinking about this season of Stranger Things. And if you have any guesses for future episodes of what we might cover because I didn't really know much about what had inspired the show before I went digging for it. I don't know why I hadn't looked at it before. And then I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> I, again, I was like sending Amanda like weird screenshots. and She's like, what are you sending me? And I'm like, it's gonna be a ride. Gonna yeah, be wild. I'm so excited. It's gonna be fun. Yeah. Well, and with that, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps.